This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Today, I want to talk about money. I just did a special series. Um, I'm doing a whole series on books this uh, year. And my first one, I kicked off with Chris Hogan, who wrote a book called Everyday Millionaires. Chris Hogan has been on my show many times. He's been on to talk about retiring, inspired, which is another book that he has. But it was important for me to kick off the new year with this book because Chris Hogan sat with 10,000 millionaires. And he discovered that everyday millionaires, you probably wouldn't even know them if you saw them. Most of the everyday millionaires, they've driven the same car for the last seven years. Most everyday millionaires don't carry a mortgage. They pay off their mortgage in 11 years. They live in the same home that they lived in for the last 17 years. They, um, they're everyday people. And they don't f- drive fat, fancy, flashy cars. They're not wearing the latest Gucci red bottom shoes. They don't have the, you know, the, the designer labels. They're just people who are hardworking. They all have similar backgrounds in terms of like work ethic. But they don't, uh, they don't need to impress you. They just have millions of dollars. And I was thinking about this because as the year kicked off, there was a story, and it was uh, crazy, and I can't believe it, but Tony Braxton is back in the news. And I'm going to read just the, the lead of the story that was uh, from January 4th. Tony Braxton is not starting off 2019 on a good note. Not only has she broken up with Birdman, but she allegedly owes nearly half a million dollars in back taxes. The Internal Revenue filed its first lien against her on December 4th, and the lien states that Braxton owes $340,252.99 in back taxes for 2017. In California, she has a tax lien for over $116,154.64 for a grand total of $456,407.63. Now, what's crazy is we've been here before with Tony Braxton. She filed for bankruptcy twice, once in 1996, again in 2010, listing more than, a, more than $10 million in debt then. She had debt discharged again in 2014 when a federal judge wiped the majority of her debt clean. This seems to be a habit. And this is what Chris Hogan points out in his book, that being a millionaire or amassing wealth is habitual. It is a habit that you develop and it's about consistency. It's not a windfall. It's not hitting a lottery. It's not something you do one time. It's not getting inheritance. 70 something percent of millionaires have never inherited a single quarter, not one dime. And 90% have inherited less than $100,000 to get to their millions. So they're not even being left like certain people, millions of dollars to become millionaires. They just do hard work. So I juxtapose this to Beyonce who is arguably, she is the, uh, one of the wealthiest entertainers right now, married to also one of the wealthiest entertainers. She was um, spotted in Target, which I call Target. I love Target, let me just say that. She was spotted there shopping uh, on January 9th, 2019, and people lost their minds. It was all over the internet. And I'm like, yay, Beyonce, um, yes. So I wanted to talk to somebody. I've been listening to her try to drop some knowledge on on her show um, that she produces on Sirius XM Urban View called The Godfrey Complex. She tries to get it in here and there to help people out understanding 
you know, money and stuff. And she does a great job with our team getting everybody straight. So I wanted to invite her today to have this discussion about the tale of $2. Let me welcome to the show, Tramel from the Godfrey Complex. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, good to see you. Um, so listen, mm-hmm. we, we've had this discussion before. You know, um, when I read this story about Tony Braxton, I was like uh, disgusted. Right. Because, you know, when you start to drill into how she got here again, and you, you would think, man, if you've been bankrupt once or twice or three times, you don't want to go back there. And, and it's public. It's embarrassing. Right. I mean, it's painful. You know, I can remember just on my small level not having good credit. I can remember not having money when I needed it, having to borrow. And um, you hope that all of that ends in your 20s, as it did for me, because it's just not a good place. It just doesn't feel good. You know, psychologically, it's horrible. So with Tony, I'm not even going to attempt to, you know, understand her thinking. Uh, I think I was most disappointed when I think a judge or a news reporter asked her what the problem was because everyone sees it's clearly a problem. And she said, I just have a problem buying girly things. I buy Fabergé eggs. And um, I want to say that she has an addiction to fine china and, and things like that, fine utensils. So she buys like Louis Vuitton dinnerware. I mean... So I don't know what the price tag for a set of Louis Vuitton dishes would be, but wow. This was back when she went bankrupt in 20, 2010 or 2012. Right, but, it, but so these habits it, haven't ended. Right, because, you know? well, this is not paying her taxes, which is a, I think that's another thing. Okay, so there's two things going on with Tony Braxton. Right. First of all, you know, we all have. We, you we can't pay your taxes when there's no money left to pay them. Or, because here's the deal, she's in that, because I've been there, you know, I've, I've written books, and you get lump sum checks, right, when you write books, mm-hmm. and they don't take the taxes out of your lump sum checks. Understood. So when you get it, I remember I went and bought a Jeep when I got one of my checks, it was a big check, and I went and paid cash for it, and I was all excited mm-hmm. to pay cash for it, but I hadn't factored in, and I was in my 20s, the taxes on it. So I remember going to the IRS, I mean, to my accountant that year, and he told me I owed something like 20-something thousand dollars in taxes, and I looked at him like he told me I had 15 heads, and I wanted to punch him in his throat because I'm like, what the hell? Like, it was his fault. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, you got this big check, and he was, like, condescending, too. Mm -hmm. Well, you got this money. You didn't think you had to pay taxes on it? Right. You know, and that was the last time I sat with that accountant because what you're not going to do is berate me for, for being ignorant, and I'm paying you to do that. So I went and found an accountant who actually schooled me on paying, you know, my quarterly taxes. When you get a lump sum check, this is put 15%, send it to the IRS immediately, get that off the top, you know. And he taught me certain things about when you get lump sums, what are the responsibilities? Because they know you got that money. That's right. It's not free money because you got it, you earned it. so paying quarterly taxes or just paying money that, you know, you have to pay that and it became a priority for you. It became a priority because I didn't want to owe $20,000 that I didn't have because the reality is you get that check like I did. Mm-hmm. You buy your whatever you buy, and all the money's gone. So when someone says you owe the IRS dollars you're like, I don't have that money. Now, magnify that by 10 because Tony Braxton was owing $2 million or $20 million, or yeah. At some point, she, I think she was $10 million in debt. So she's getting these huge checks. Mm-hmm. And not even, no one around her is telling her? Or there's well, I don't not think a, anyone around her needs to tell. She knows. She knows. This is so not what a, is that? Priorities. 
Now you can say what you want, but it comes down to priorities and discipline at this point. And if you read, if you finish reading that article, she owes five hundred thousand and change. But with the taxes, penalty, and interest, that debt is seven hundred and ninety-eight thousand dollars. You know, so essentially, whatever she does for the first six months, she's working for free because that is a terrible thing to be under the IRS. They are not playing. They will garnish every account. You can have nothing as long as you owe them. You know, and that's where she is, and she's been there before. So I don't know. She needs some type of, I don't know, help. I think it's psychological. She's sick. At it's some a sickness, point. right? Yeah, definitely. But she's not alone. You know, no. I think about the the chase. You know, we we were talking earlier, which is why I think it was important for us to have this conversation about people chasing things. You know, you were reading an article about um, the types of friends people want to have versus the type of friends they think they're. Repeat that to us. Okay, so this was a a study. It it was done in uh, Psychology Today, and I I read it on, on a blog. But essentially, the study has two groups of people. And so in Control Group A, they asked, the researchers asked the people, if they were going to a party or an event to meet friends, would do they see themselves driving a basic car or a luxury vehicle? Um, more than half of the group, upwards of 60%, said they see themselves going to this party or going to this major event to meet friends in the luxury vehicle. Now, the interesting thing was, Control Group B, the researchers asked, the other side of that question. You are going to a party, the same party as control group A. However, you're there to meet friends and you're gonna base that decision on deciding to, you know, initiate a conversation on the, based on the car that you're they arrive meeting, in. You're trying to meet new friends. You're trying to meet new these friends. These aren't your old friends. These are people that you want to be friends with. Right. These are new friends. Just as control group A, they were going to meet friends and hope to attract friends. And which car would you drive? Control group A chose a basic car. They had a basic car and a luxury car to choose from. And the majority of control group A chose the luxury vehicle. Control group B, you're at a party, you need to choose people that you want to potentially have a friendship with and you're gonna base that decision on the car that they pull up in. And the majority of the second group said, I'm gonna choose the basic car people. You know, so we put forth the effort to have luxury cars, luxury items to impress people and I'm assuming to ultimately make friendships and new relationships and the other side of that is if we were in the position to choose a friend, we don't want the friend with the luxury items. We want the regular person, the yes. person that we can the have a beer person. with, the person we can roll up our sleeves and yes. get real with. Yes. So what does that say about us? It says two things, because according to the report, uh, psychologists say that when we go out, it's not really the real us. It's a, present, it's a presentation. It's a representation of us, who we'd like to be, who we hope to be, who, people, who we want people to believe we are. And so it's a performance. And the goal of that performance is to attract attention and to outshine everyone. On the flip side, the people watching don't necessarily want to be in anyone's shadow because psychologically speaking, everybody wants to be seen. And so when you go with the goal of outshining everyone, no one wants to be in anyone's shadow. And they don't want to be your friend. So you're, you're actually repelling people. That's so crazy. 
So the very thing that you're doing, but then, so I, I, I get conflicted, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I remember um, I bought a Jeep Wrangler and I remember somebody telling me because the circles that I was traveling in, that that was too basic a car to be with the people, but my car was paid for. Right. So I was like, so my car is paid for, but they were like, you're in a, an entertainment space where people have to see you a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I ended up trading that paid for Jeep Wrangler in for Mercedes. Mm-hmm. I've told this story in the air before, but you mm-hmm. know, the Mercedes had a car payment. Right, right. But it wasn't new. So that was the other thing. I was like, I'm not spending that much money because well, I work too thing. hard. That's a good thing. Right. But but so at the same time that you, like, I'm reluctant. Like, I, I'm not somebody that likes to, you know, I like a nice car. Mm-hmm. Let me just be honest about that. Mm-hmm. I love cars. I love a nice car. Right. But I'm not, you know, willing to spend $100,000 on a Bentley or $200,000 for what? Like, that doesn't make right. any sense to me. Right. I like to live well. Mm-hmm. But even in that, like, I, I want to make sure that I can feed my 80, 90-year-old self. So mm-hmm. I'm going to make certain choices. Now I really care what it looks like. Like, I don't – I'm doing that for me. I drive the car. I drive for me, not because – People are telling me my car is nice. My car is nice, but I love my car because right. I love my car. I don't give a damn whether you love my car. And if somebody says my car is ugly, oh well, that's my car that I'm driving in. But the the but I struggle with. We're in a space where, like, you look at followers. You go on Instagram, and those Instagram influencers, they're in front of the cars, and they get 100,000 followers. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm barely scraping together 20,000. Not that I do an active job to try to get people to follow me, but it's Mm -hmm. like this person has more followers, and I'm actually feeding people every day. Right, has This person has five times more followers just because they're posting pictures of them in a nice outfit in front of a fancy car or in front of an airplane. And I'm actually giving you food every day, things to think about, things that are going to improve your life, and I can't get followers. So we're, we're, I'm conflicted. Well, I don't think you should be conflicted. I just think that we live in a society of followers. And to be a follower, in my opinion, by the very nature of being a follower, it's indicative of immaturity. It's indicative of someone who's not an independent thinker. So if you are going to remove yourself from a space that's riddled with people who will follow and are just um, superficially driven, then you're gonna, you know, you kinda gonna, you're gonna stand out, you know, you're an outlier. And um, that entertainment crowd that you were trying to impress with your friends, um, not that, my friends. This was for like you know some appearances. Yeah, right. Exactly. But whatever it is, right. That stage that you had to walk through, you know, business wise, it's a very superficial and a very immature space. You but know? that's where most of the people are, right? That's where most. So, but, so if you're in a business, so we're gonna get back to Tony Braxton and Beyonce in a second because I, I do I do want to explore the tale of those two dollars. But you know, but if you're in a business that is predicated upon, and most businesses are predicated upon people buying your wares, whether we're selling mm-hmm. uh, content or we're selling sneakers, right? Mm-hmm. People have to want to buy your jersey or your, you know, your mm-hmm. b- pocketbook or your art, mm-hmm. right? right? You need people. Yes. You got to have people, right? Yes, yes. So if the vast majority of people are consuming this Image. uh, immature, you know, spirit draining, because I think it's spirit draining on Absolutely. some level, non edifying stuff, then you need to be over there to, to grab some of them, right? You know what I'm saying? So, like, what's the dance? What's the tightrope for somebody who actually 
needs people to feed people, but, and it is, there's a commerce mm-hmm. to that, right? So right. I, I was selling books at the time. I was writing books. You want as many people as possible to read your books, mm-hmm. which means to, to get as many people to read your books, you have to have access to as many people as possible to read your books. Right. So it's, you know, how do you reach people if you're not dangling the shiny bauble in front of them that they all seem to want? You know what? I, if I had the answer to that, oh, my God. <laughs> right? But... I just think that if you are so good, and you know what, I, I, I want to ask you something. I, is that only the black community that moves that way? I don't know. I'm not because in the Mark community. Zuckerberg shows up in a t-shirt. And so does Steve Jobs. Right. So the they showed up in like the a raggedy mock turtle and some mom jeans. Steve Jobs, that was his uniform. Mark Zuckerberg may Let's have. Let's go a- to Warren Buffett. Same suit. Lives in the same, same house. Nebraska house for the Eats last. Eats at McDonald's. Okay. You know, so so there's okay. there's a problem. There's a problem culturally. We, culturally, we are so uninformed, and we're so are we uninformed? Inf- or because so, I've had this conversation because I even talked to um talked to both um, Andrew McCaskill from Nielsen and off mic Chris Hogan. Mm-hmm. I think if if you come from a group of people, and I don't care whether we're talking Africa or mm-hmm. you know that th- that have been colonized and. Um, deprived or demonized. Like with Andrew McCaskill, we talked about detergents and how black people disproportionately spend money. We spend a billion dollars on detergent. And I said, psychologically, we've been taught that we were dirty. Right. So we're, so, so we're, gonna, we're going forever. to be the cleanest people. We're going to have a cabinet full of cleansers and soaps and things. So I think value, if you were value, if you were commodity, if you were a commodity, Mm-hmm. So it's, it's weird. I even had a conversation with a guy who owned a seat on the stock exchange. And he said, black people don't invest in stocks. Right. And he said he believes it's because we were on the auction block. And we were on Wall Street on the auction block. And for us to invest in something that we want, it, it, is, it doesn't make any sense if I think about it. Mm-hmm. But I get maybe there's a psychological, inherent, unspoken kind of trigger for us to first show value. And the way we show value is through things, which is why you can be in the projects and see d- luxury cars. You can see Mercedes Beamers and Lexuses in projects that people don't own, where the elevators are pissy, mm-hmm. where the, the places are destroyed, where there's no money, but they have luxury cars and those kids have on new Nikes that they're going to grow out of in a month. And those women and men are flashing the latest designer wares. And the rap songs, when I was growing up, talked about Jerbo's hanging baggy and Moschino and Chanel and things that those kids in the hood buying those things they could, aspire not, to. could not afford, right? Mm-hmm. Lex Beam's in the bins and all my friends, you know, it was like the music was kind of perpetuating this. this Absolutely. Op- so, so our culture has been inundated with this notion that this is what is valuable. So that's why maybe for Tony Braxton, when she learned about a Fabergé egg, because that growing up in Maryland was not in her household, but that was valuable. And if I own that, then I am a valuable human being. Whereas Beyonce, who's been rich since she was a teenager, who also, you know, has maybe different sensibilities, you know, maybe a different sense of value. And she's a little bit more aware of her history and who she is in the world can go to a Target and know that 
I'm Beyonce. I'm one of the richest entertainers in the world. Yeah, I'm going to shop at Target for my babies of whatever I need. What the hell? Yeah, because right. it's, it's less money. And I'm also a Virgo, which means I'm frugal. I just threw that in there. Yeah. Shout out to the <laughs> Virgos. Because you're a Virgo, so yeah. I know that you know what I'm talking about. But there's, you know, that too. I don't have to okay, prove anything. Okay, so you, you said a lot. So I'm the sorry. First, no, no, that's fine. So the first thing you said, it be, could be because we were originally on the auction block that we don't invest, right? So that's a possibility. I'll give it a small, a little bit of, you know, credence, you know. But I think that a bigger reason would be that we don't have any disposable income to invest because we've spent up all our money. Whether we work at a bank, whether we work at Wendy's, doesn't matter because it's never how much you make, it's about how much you keep. That's the first thing we need to understand. Uh, so we don't have disposable income because we've bought our children everything that they've begged for that they've seen in a music video. Um, and then the, the next I'm going to say is, is ignorance. Hmm. Ignorance. So if it's not a common thing to buy a stock, then it's not a comfortable thing. And just as human beings, we don't do what's not comfortable for us. We don't do the thing that there is no pathway for, that there's no precedence for. So ignorance lack of income or lack of disposable income that could be used towards investing, I think, are non-existent. That, that's my reasoning behind black people not, you know, doing that. Okay. And if you don't see it, you can't do it. And generationally, we don't see it. Generationally, it's, it's, yeah, we don't see it. And it's not something, and it, the other thing I think we also, we're, a lot of us are mindless. So well, we are- It goes back to the sheep. Right, we're, we're on this kind of like mindless pursuit of things. Because if you took a minute to think about, why do I want that thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, red bottoms. I got to have a pair of red bottom why shoes. Why do I want 40 pairs of shoes and sneakers in an apartment, a substandard apartment, where it's busting at the seams? And I only have that one narrow closet. You know what I Are mean? Are you speaking from experience? Yeah, I mean, growing up. You know what? I, I've lived long enough to regret all of the sneakers that I've had. But I'm so happy that one day somewhere I came to say, oh, my God, if my mother had just taken and used that money to buy a stock and said, no, you're not getting that. I can imagine me pouting then. But, oh, my God, to turn 19 and be sitting on potentially $250,000 to buy a home and go to college and just have a, a different trajectory in life, that would be amazing. You know, that's a different start, and it's possible whether you grew up in the Bronx or, you know, in a project, in a trailer park, doesn't matter. That's Everyone has disposable income, you know. Yeah. This is not a third world country. So if you find someone that buys a pack of cigarettes every week, uh, a six pack of beer every week, a new outfit for church every week. Bag of weed every week bag of weed every week, a new pair of jeans twice a month, a new pocketbook, a new weave, your nails did, <laughs> being bad there, uh, your pedicures, I mean, all of that stuff. That's money for your future that could be growing. So that maybe, and you know what, the other thing that I hate is the perpetual cycle of, of brokenness, you know? It's not a rite of passage to just work and work and work and work and have nothing. It's almost crazy. Almost. Because it, it can't feel good. You know, they say retail therapy. 
I'm sure the Tony Braxtons of the world must get a instant burst of pleasure from buying that thing, that Fabergé egg that's sitting on her mantle. Still? I don't know. I don't know, but I mean, there must have been some. I guess you know. There what? must have been some emotional. The stakes go up, just like with regular drugs, right? Yeah. So, so now one what? hit of crack might right. work. Then it takes it, two to get to the same place, and, and then, then five binges, and you're right. still, you know, you've sold everything in your apartment to right. get that first hit, and so I imagine it's the same, no matter what your, you know, how you cho choose to anesthetize yourself. Could you could you help with Tony Braxton? No, because that starts in the mind, you know. There's no difference between her and any other type of addict. Right. You, know, you have so to she's know got you a have sickness. a problem. She's got to go to counseling. She's got to go to counseling. Or maybe life has to. I, I think that Tony Braxton is perpetually bailed out. That's my thinking. And I think that if someone. So whether it's a new show, because that TV show, a new the Braxtons show, really helped that extra, that, that check, that regular check for... There would be no Braxtons if it were just Tony. She's not particularly interesting. I believe she's the most talented vocally, but... She's yeah, we're not, not the, tuning in for that. We're tuning, we're tuning in, for in for all of the Tamar tuning in for crazy trash and, tre and yes, yes, we are. the foolishness that's going on in there, and it's not just Tony. So I don't know, the men in her life may bail her out, Um TV, her talent bails her out. Because she can always do a residency at Vegas at some point. She can do anything. Until she can't anymore because right. she also has failing health. She does. So she's got to be real careful. She can't always depend on herself being, which is the other thing. That would have put me on my ass, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. If I know, like, I can't do the thing that I do. To say, yeah. yeah. Like, that I can't depend on it because I could wake up tomorrow and not feel well and have to cancel some dates, which means checks aren't coming in, mm -hmm. then I would have to store up. Like, I would have been hyper, like, woo, and I'm not, I can't depend on my family to bail me out, even though I've hooked them up, because you know how that is. You can hook mm -hmm. up everybody in your family, but when you need them, they ain't there for you. I'm just speaking from experience, hallelujah. Anyway, but I'm saying that, you know, they may not be there for her, even though she put them down, even though she's, right, the, she's right. the catalyst to even a Tamar having her career. There would be no Tamar without Tony. Absolutely. But you, you look at that and you go, man, something should have triggered. So there is really a sickness there if she's back here again in 2019. Right, right. So Beyonce going to Target. Mm -hmm. that, Love that, it. That makes me smile. Me too. Why? Why does it make you smile? It lets young black women off the hook everywhere. If a woman worth $355 million can walk into Target and be satisfied, then so can you until you get your financial life together. Or not. Or, or not. You never have to. Or, or not. Because Warren right. Buffett feels no desire to go to Bergdorf Goodman right. and to to go to, to um, what's Tiffany's, the you know. Right. He feels no. You know what I'm, you know what I'm finding? And I'm, I'm going to make a confession today. Um, the more money I have, the less I want to spend it. <laughs> I promise you. Like, to get to a place because I was in a That's valley. Real. That's I, real. I was I was I didn't have my own back for so long that when I'm finally having my own back, mm -hmm. I'm like, nah, I'm good. Like, do I do I need a new car? No. So mm -hmm. guess what? The car I have right now, I'm gonna have for the duration. Right. And that's not like me. Right. But I feel that strongly about it. And not only that, I'm paying off my house in the next three years because Chris Hogan was like, no mortgage. And I was like, no mortgage? Who does that? But what about the taxes? He was like, uh-uh, no debt, no mortgage. I was like, okay. I don't even know what that's going to feel like, but I'm looking forward. Like that's, that, and that means I have to tighten 
like really, really tight my belt. My budget has to be tight. I have like no, I maybe have $200 wiggle room every month in my budget because I want to pay off my house. Right. But that means I can't splurge on anything. I think that people that allow themselves to be perpetually broke and live paycheck to paycheck, they don't have a deep plan for their lives. Because if you have a plan for your life, whether it means buying a new home, moving a new career, more education, um, a business, then your money has to follow right behind that plan. You have to have a plan and a destination for every single paycheck. And so that's one more thing you can add. Ignorance, no plan for your f life and future. And what was the first one? There were three things. That, well, there were two things prior to this, why people don't have money and why people allow themselves. And um, no precedent, right? I think in the beginning we said that. There was no no uh, model for for the success. There's no disposable income. No disposable income. Right, because they've spent it on foolishness. There's no plan for the life, for the person's life, because then their money would have to Everyone follow. Everyone has a plan, though. Don't, they think, like, if you, they? Talk to, if you talk to the average person, it's like, well, I want to be a millionaire, or my plan is to retire by the time I'm 50, or to, by the time I'm 40. I've heard this, because uh, that was my plan. That didn't happen. I, uh, I want to be able to retire by the time I'm 40. You know, if you ask the average person, and I'm sure Really? Don't what, I mean, like I'm trying to I think. I mean, of, I'm not I trying think, to. They know. They know how they're going to get there. But if you ask them, no. You if you if you if you go into a building, let's just say going into our building, right? And you ask one of the many female security guards. I'm going to go with them. What their plan is for their life because they have gray hairs popping. They have. On the, yeah. Yeah. They do have right. Gray hairs, yeah. What is the plan for their life? You think they have no answer? I think it's to show up there as that security guard every day. For the five days that they have to work. Five days a week there and then, until they cannot, because they can't stand anymore. Because they don't even have seats. They don't. That was crazy that they yeah, took they away took those their seats. Chairs. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right? Is the plan to go to nursing school? Maybe. The, I don't know. To go to computer boot camping school? Some older folk in there, right? Yeah, 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 yep. So you're saying the vast majority of people have no plan? No plan, not a far-reaching plan, and I think that's something that the black community simply doesn't have, right? We don't. You think have we're the only community that doesn't have that? Um, well, we're not speaking about any other community. That is true. So let me let me just smack myself on the hand because it's true. Like um, uh, that whataboutism, you know, it's like, well, other people do this because this this is how we make give ourselves excuses for a lot of things in our lives, for right? Most so, things. So it's like, well, I could, well, so and so did that, so. You know, so you kind of give yourself a free pass as right. opposed to saying, I'm not talking about so-and-so, I'm talking about you. So just because your grandmother could have smoked 15 packs of cigarettes a day and she lived to be 99, because this is what we do. Well, my great-grandmother, my great-grandmother dipped snuff and lived to be 99. That doesn't mean that Karen Hunter could dip snuff right. and live to be 99 or not have mouth cancer. Right. You know, just right. because somebody can get away with doing something. Oh, my my father ate eggs every day. My father ate eggs every day, right? I used to say this all the time. So I could eat eggs because it's in my DNA. I can eat eggs. Mm. My father's not here right now. Mm. And I'm not saying the eggs did it, but I'm saying that, you know, he had high blood pressure and he told me I was going to have it. And I'm like, no, I'm going to eat differently than you because high blood pressure is not heredity. High blood pressure is a habit that you, you pass on to your kids and the kids pick up the habit, but I'm not going to take your habits. So you, I think that's part of it too financially, right? So the plans that we need to have have to be wedded to, the, to changing our thinking about 
how we want to live our lives, but actually seeing our lives beyond what we've been taught about what we should be doing. Right, because we don't have long-term plans as a race of people. Which also is historic. But let me not use that, because I've been accused of, you always using slavery as an excuse, but I bring it up because to be able to build on anything, you must first have a solid foundation, and that foundation has to be rooted in facts and truth. And I get get what you're saying. Historically, yes, and, and all of that may be true. But at this stage... There's no reason for ignorance to just continue. There, there's too much at our disposal to just to be ignorant as a race of people. You have to plan. You should plan for your children. That doesn't mean dictate their lives, but you need to give your children a blueprint for success. And show them, right? Right. Don't so push them into law. Don't push them into medicine. Let them do what you know, whatever the desire of their heart happens to be. Or push them into law, uh, but, not right, law, right. but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, just so, so other people's parents push them into like I, I go to this urgent care place, and it's like mostly Indians and you right, know, doctor and or lawyer, doctors or pharmacists or whatever. And mm-hmm. their parents are purposeful about that. And even in the midst, I've interviewed a Pakistani guy who was like, "Yeah, of course, I had to go to law school, but while I was in law school, I was also doing my my hip hop thing yeah. because my parents were like, that's some trash." But I had to do the thing that they told me to do. And there's something about the discipline of that. Mm-hmm. We don't demand much of our kids, but we, we demand so much from our kids. At the right. same time, it's a weird thing, but the things we demand don't end up putting them on a pathway to success. Mm-hmm. So the discipline of actually following through with becoming an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer or any of these high income net worth earning careers is that if you don't want to do that, at least you're on a path of knowing what that discipline looks like. And that discipline can carry over into the other things that you now, want to I, do. Now, I totally agree with you. I think that you need something, what do I call it, the bread and butter, right? You need to have that bread and butter career or something in life. However, here's what I can tell you. If I were not doing what I'm doing today, if I wore that security guard in that building, I would still have money. If I were working at FedEx, which is basically just a part-time job, if I were an orderly, if I were a cafeteria person serving food, I would still have money. Because while career and a high income can get you where you want to be ultimately faster, if you don't master the art of finance and your personal economy, you will suffer and you'll still not reach your potential. You know, there are broke doctors, which is why you have doctors pushing pills on people and taking Uh things under the table. I mean, not having money can happen at every level. You can live paycheck to paycheck in a mansion. And well, then they it just, feel good. They just did a study of the uh, government workers because of the shutdown. Mm-hmm. And they there was a study in Forbes magazine, people making $100,000 plus. 70% or 68% of them are living paycheck to paycheck. Of course. 60-something percent of them are living paycheck to paycheck, making $100,000 plus. Of course. So you're right. All right. I said all that to say, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I guess I just, I like, you know, my dad set me up. Um, very well, but there was, but he, he, but he didn't educate. No, you he didn't. That's what I was going to say. So he would take me to the bank with him. I would roll the coins. He would show me my bank account, but he never taught me the discipline that he had. And I, I, I got to see it after he died, right. you know, how, um, and he was regimented and I always thought he was and crazy. And he was a millionaire. And he was a millionaire. He was a millionaire. He was a millionaire. And he owned a grocery store. And yeah. And he, but he, and never he was t- a corrections officer. No, parole officer. Parole officer. Yeah. Okay. But he never taught me the tenets. He just showed me the results. Right. He right. didn't sh- 
you know, I learned hard work watching him, mm -hmm. but he never sat me down and said, this is the blueprint too. And we need that. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm like, I'm not mad at him because, you know, he did what he thought he could do. And in his mind, I guess he felt like he was going to leave me enough to not have to worry about any of that, which is what we do to our kids too. We atrophy them Absolutely. or we don't allow them to build that muscle. I call it, you know, when you, when you let a baby bird out of an egg and don't let them crack their way out. Mm-hmm. They don't develop the muscles that they need to actually survive, to, to, to get their own food, to fly. So we, we always crack our babies out, you know, and then we feed them. And then when it's time for them to fly, because we're not here anymore, they, they don't have the muscle to do it. So that's one thing. And Tony Braxton clearly didn't have that. But she's, you know, some of her sisters are doing all right. Yeah, so it's it, not Tawanda? Tawanda is another Virgo. Anyway, all right. <laughs> so, so Tony Braxton versus Beyonce. What's the message? as we wrap up, because we're going to keep talking about money periodically, and I'm, th I'm grateful that you uh, joined me today. I think that the message is whether you have Beyonce money, $355 million, the average of workers' money, um, which would be working at a FedEx or a regular blue-collar job, whether you're a career person like a doctor or a lawyer, doesn't matter, because up and down that spectrum, you're going to find people that are broke without and indebted in some way because they don't have the basic formula for financial freedom. And that formula is spending less than you earn, no matter how much you earn, saving and investing the difference, and repeating that process for years, for as long as you're working. You should always be doing that. And compound interest and that, kind, that exponential math will kick in and do the rest for you. That seems so easy. Yeah. So why aren't the majority of people doing it? All right, that's a question you that's have to ask yourself. Mm -hmm. No, it's a question people are going to have to ask themselves. And, you know, I wish uh, that Tony Braxton will go get help because I don't want to read about her business anymore. It's embarrassing to watch somebody with so much talent not master this thing after all of these years. I need everybody to go get Everyday Millionaire by Chris Hogan uh, because I think foundationally it's a great um, start for anybody out there. Also, you know, what he said, most of the millionaires are – there are some engineers, of course, uh, and engineers, I think, have a natural affinity because uh, t towards being wealthy because engineers figure things out, right? It's the math of it all. There are some accountants on that list of the 10,000, but there were a whole lot of teachers, which I thought was cool. And he said, because teachers like to learn and they like, you know, they like to, you know, read and they're going to, you know, drill in. And there's a lot of, there's enough research. You, I know you're into the blogosphere. You go to a lot of blogs to, to read and you, you know, you're really good with, you know, passing that information along and, and disseminating it for yourself. But, you know, he said teachers are some of the, some of the, most of the millionaires, a lot of them are teachers. Right. And I thought, and, and I, that made me smile. But you know what smile. teachers do very well? Right along with engineers, they plan. Mm. You know? Look you at you, the, you yes. show me a teacher, and I'll show you a lesson plan. And I'll show you a lesson plan that goes by the week, by the month, and for the year. And at the end of that year, that lesson plan will have touched on everything that the child was There'll supposed to There'll be some actionable deliverables. It, it's there. It's there. Wow. And then that, hopefully that entire class graduates, and they graduate, they graduate because what they've learned is compounded. And you compound your knowledge to reach the next grade, you know? So, and engineers, again, what engineers do that might be a little different from teaching is they implement systems. And in order to build wealth, you have to create a system 
that will not fail, and that system is usually automatic investing, you know, going to seminars, which is constant learning to build your investing acumen, and that's something that an engineer would do well. They will put a system in place, which is very close to a plan, and the teacher is definitely all about the planning and planning for an extended period of time. And accountants, of course, understand money, so yeah, there's that. they should get it right. Hello. Uh, and shout out to Angela E. Matthews. That note, um, thank you for being here today, Tramel. Thanks for we having will, me. We uh, will talk again. You can follow her on the Godfrey Complex and on Instagram at Tramel, T-R-E-M-E-L-L-M-C, Tramel MC on the gram on Instagram. And, of course, you can follow me at Karen Hunter Show. We'll see you later. Thank you for being a part of The Hub. <laughs>